The first scripture reading is taken from 2 Chronicles chapter 36 verses 18 to 23 which you can find in the Old Testament on the pages 420 and 421. All the vessels of the house of God, large and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his officials, all these be brought to Babylon. They burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped, who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had made up for its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia so that he sent a herald throughout all his kingdom and also declared in a written edict, Thus says King Cyrus of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The, the scripture reading each week is going to be from the Old Testament and primarily from the book of Nehemiah. I am going to read a New Testament each week to remind us that there is a gospel, right? That there was something that was uh, pointed toward in, uh, in the future. And, but I hope that these gospel readings are uh, lights, shine, ways for us to understand uh, what we find in the Old Testament. So today's uh, New Testament reading is from John chapter 10, just two verses there. Uh, John chapter 10, beginning with verse 9, and these are Jesus' words. I am the gate. Whoever enters me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last spring when I was making uh, plans, uh, worship plans for the fall, I was talking with Sam who, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, has an extraordinary gift for coming up with interesting sermon series. And uh, Sam mentioned to me a book that uh, I had never heard of, a, a book by Charles Swindoll. I mean, I don't know how someone can be in ministry for 40 years uh, without having read the classics, without having uh, encountered all of the best sellers uh, over the years, but somehow this book escaped my attention. So at Sam's suggestion, I, I bought it and uh, read it, and uh, then last month during a, a, a week of study time, I read it again along with the study guide that now accompanies it, plus a, a, a fair amount of, of scholarly and practical uh, literature about Nehemiah. And, and the result of all of that is, I think we have an exciting fall plan, right? uh, both in the sermon series and in the adult education hour to which you are uh, all invited. The book of Nehemiah, uh, as it turns out, uh, is a rich resource for living the life of faith. 
for learning what it means to be a devoted servant of God. Uh, Swindoll, who, as I said, is an American pastor. Did I say that? Swindoll is an American pastor. And uh, he addresses his book, uh, his study of Nehemiah, to leaders. And you may not think of yourself as a leader, but it seems to me that if you are a mother or a father, uh, if you are a Sunday school teacher, if you are in any position in life where you are a kind of a role model to the people around you, uh, which must be all or most of us, then this book is for you. The book of Nehemiah teaches us how a, a devoted servant of God thinks. Uh, the book teaches, as we will see, what our priorities should be. And the book, I don't want to give uh, uh, too much away here, uh, but just to give you a taste of of what is to come, the book teaches us how to handle our critics. And and not only the external critics, right? Uh, Churches are always filled with people who, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, feel called to the, uh, what should we say, the ministry of criticism. Uh, uh, But I have in mind the inner critic as well. Right? Uh, if you are anything like me, and God have mercy on you, uh, if you are like me, but if you are anything like me, then your inner critic will be far harsher and uh, far more devastating than any external critic uh, could ever be. And the book of Nehemiah has something to say to us about both the external and the internal critic. Uh, before we get to it, some background information about the, the book of Nehemiah might be uh, useful. Many of us at IPC, I've discovered, have a fair amount of, of Bible knowledge. Uh, but, you know, even if we know the story, uh, it often feels wonderful to hear it again. And for those of you who do not know your Bibles very well, then this is especially for you. Uh, most of you know that the exodus from Egypt was a... I mean, how do I say this strongly enough? Uh, the exodus from Egypt was a major event in Israel's life. What happened when God rescued his people from... Uh, 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 slavery in Egypt and brought them to the promised land continues to be the defining event in Israel's history. So important, in fact, that, that, that Jews today all over the world, religious and irreligious, continue to share the meal associated with this event and tell the story and to uh, appropriate the meaning uh, from that meal uh, because it shapes their identity. Thousands thousands of years later. Uh, Even Christians, uh, I think this is interesting, even Christians uh, tell their story against the backdrop of the Exodus. Uh, We speak, don't we, of being rescued from the the bondage of sin and and death and being brought to new life through the work of Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, that's the story of the Exodus, told in a, a different way. So both Jews and Christians describe their lives in in very similar ways, Uh, but what do we make of the Babylonian exile? What what use can we make of that in understanding uh, who we are? Well, as you know from reading the prophets, uh, God's people never expected Jerusalem to be conquered. I mean, for them, it was inconceivable that that an army would come through and and destroy Jerusalem. They, they, They thought God would never let that happen. And the prophets pointed out that the people in Jerusalem were living in a dream world uh, because they could not recognize the catastrophe uh, that was about to occur. Uh, But then the unthinkable did happen. As you know, Jerusalem was destroyed. Solomon's temple was uh, uh, laid to ruins. 
And it seems to me that we can barely begin to appreciate what this event did to the psyche of the people of Judah. Everything that they had ever put their hope in had suddenly been ripped away. Uh, the Babylonians were uh, conquerors, but there, there had been conquerors before the, the Babylonians. But the, the methods uh, employed by the Babylonians took the, this business of conquering to a whole new level. Uh, so in addition to destroying the buildings and, and the walls, in addition to taking all the valuable stuff, which uh, we heard about in the uh, Old Testament reading for today, uh, they also deported the leading citizens. Right? So anyone with a valuable skill, uh, anyone with an education, anyone uh, whom they thought could be of, of, of value to them, they carried off into exile, uh, leaving behind the poor and the disabled and the elderly, people who were least able to look after themselves. Uh, it was cruel, I have to say, but it was effective. And, and so for the next 70 years, the people of Judah, uh, not yet called Jews, uh, God's people were left to reflect on what had happened and, and, and what this thing meant and, and what their future was going to be as a result of this, this thing that had happened to them. Uh, all or most of us have been through something traumatic in our lives, not on the same scale uh, perhaps, but uh, hear me out, uh, uh, something has happened to us. Uh, in our lives, and, and then when it happens, our lives are suddenly turned upside down. And, I mean, it's, we never thought this thing, whatever it was, would happen to us. And then we spend weeks and, and months and, and sometimes years uh, uh, trying to make sense of, of what has happened, and, and that is what is going on with God's people during this time of, of exile. Uh, not surprisingly, uh, Hebrew literature flourished, uh, during this period of time, uh, I mean, when do you most need poets? Uh, when do you most need songwriters and, and, and storytellers? Well, th this is one of those times, right? Uh, th this was one of those times when, when uh, God's people distinguished themselves in a variety of ways. I mean, think of Daniel. Uh, think of Esther. And, and, of course, as we'll see, think of Nehemiah. Uh, they made the most of their new circumstances and they, they, they rose to uh, positions of prominence. Uh, Nehemiah describes himself as a, a, a cupbearer to the king. Uh, uh, Ravi Zacharias in a sermon about uh, Nehemiah describes uh, Nehemiah as a, a civil engineer and that's, I, I suppose that's right, of course. Uh, and as it turns out, he must have been quite a good one. All right? But Nehemiah describes himself only as a cupbearer. In other words, he was a close and trusted confidant to the king. Uh, at some point during the, uh, the exile, as you know, the, the Babylonian Empire gave way to the uh, Persian Empire, which is a reminder that no empire lasts forever. Uh, and anyway, in the new regime, Nehemiah uh, was the person who drank from the cup and who tasted the food uh, before the king. So quite a remarkable rise to power and influence. Right? Not unlike Joseph uh, in, in the book of Genesis, uh, who was the subject of our study at the, the all-church retreat last weekend. Uh, this is important, too. Uh, throughout the 70 years uh, of exile, the people never stopped dreaming of home. Uh, they never stopped dreaming of returning one day to Jerusalem and 
uh, there was quite a powerful pull that, that Jerusalem had in our lives, even for those people in exile who had never been there, who were born uh, during the exile. They nevertheless uh, dreamed uh, of this distant place. Well, it seems to me that we in, in uh, this church at IPC uh, should understand this powerful longing uh, for home. Uh, I've mostly stopped asking people, maybe you've noticed, I hope you have, uh, I've stopped asking people where they're from. Right? Uh, because the answer uh, with most of you is so complicated and, and uh, so hard. Uh, but I do slip up occasionally and I ask the question and uh, I have learned that most of us, even if we have a Swiss passport, uh, even if we've lived here most of our lives, uh, have this longing for another place. The place where we are from or the place where our parents live or, or, or something like that. And I've come to think of this longing for home as a, a spiritual longing. You know, the, the, the people who live there uh, might not even recognize us if we return. Uh, something I worry about as I uh, contemplate retirement somewhere else. And as we'll see in the, the Nehemiah story, uh, not everyone in Jerusalem was all that happy to see him when he arrived. All right? But that doesn't change the feeling we have about some other place. Uh, being our true home, right? the place where we belong. Well, Jerusalem, for the people of God, would always, uh, always be home, even if they had never been there. Right? And, and it would always be the place they longed to be, to return to. Uh, at some point, and this is where the, the book of Nehemiah begins, uh, Nehemiah proposes to the king uh, that he, Nehemiah, be allowed to return to Jerusalem uh, in order to rebuild the wall. He had such a longing for home, such a longing to return to a place he had never been to before, uh, and, but that held a powerful place in his mind, and, and that he was ready to give up his position uh, in the palace. Now, I want to make a few uh, uh, points this morning, and uh, that's the first one. Why Nehemiah? Uh, you know, there are times in life when we think, uh, wait, someone should do something about that. Uh, we see a need in the world, or uh, we see people not having enough to eat, or we, we, we see people who are lacking basic medical care, and, and then we think, well, someone should do something about that. And, and you're right, more than likely, uh, someone should do something about that. Uh, someone should take care of those situations of need and crisis. And what if that person happens to be you? Right? What if the thought occurs to you because you are the one who is being called. Right? In, in Scripture, God called people all the time from lives of comfort and, and, and privilege and ease to, I mean, let's be honest about it, to thankless tasks that needed to be done, like rebuilding a wall in your hometown. Uh, one of the reasons I like to invite people to uh, come up front at the beginning of worship and to uh, give minutes for mission about their mission experiences, even if it was a short-term uh, uh, summer mission assignment, is to plant the seed that, that all of us are called. When we recognize a need in the world, it may be that God is, at, at that moment, asking us to be His hands and His feet in the world. So the, the next time you think, oh, someone should be doing something about that, well, that may well be the first stirrings of a, a call within you. 
Right? Stop waiting for someone else to get involved and ask yourself if you are the one. Uh, Nehemiah, unlike some uh, biblical figures, doesn't uh, tell us about his inner decision-making, only uh, that he became convicted that he should leave the king's palace and do this thing that he was uniquely equipped to do as a, a civil engineer. Uh, twice, the, the story tells us that he wept over Jerusalem. Uh, the, the first time was when he heard a, a report from someone who had been there uh, that, the, uh, well, that the place was a pile of rubble, to be honest, but that the walls were in ruins. And the other time uh, when Nehemiah cried or wept was when he first laid eyes uh, on this city, which he had dreamed about many times but had never actually visited. He wept. And in his tears, he knew that he had been given a calling from God. That's the first point I want to make this morning. And the second one is this, and, and I'm, I'm guessing most of you have heard the old expression uh, that the only thing worse than not getting what you want is getting what you want. Uh, well, the king could have said uh, no, <laughs> which frankly uh, might have come as a relief to Nehemiah. Uh, the king could have said, uh, Nehemiah, I, boy, I admire you so much. You know, for wanting to do this thing for your people, you have such a great heart. That's why I invited you to work for me in the first place. But I really need you here. Uh, instead, uh, the king changed Nehemiah's life forever by saying, you know, uh, you may go. And I will give you the resources you need to do this thing that you feel called to do. So, as I said, the only thing worse than not getting uh, what you want may be getting what you want. You know, I've been in circumstances like this, uh, or a little like this, a few times in my life. Uh, on more than one occasion, uh, I've proposed a plan uh, that I thought was really cool, but that no one would ever agree to. But it would sound good if I proposed it. And so I would propose a plan just because it sounded outrageous, thinking no one would go along with it, only to my surprise to have people agree with me. And they would say, oh, Doug, what a great idea. Why don't you do it? <laughs> and then I would think, what was I thinking? I, I, I should have kept my mouth shut. Well, this is one of those occasions. And I mean, it's preposterous that Nehemiah, Someone who's never even been to Jerusalem is going to go and rebuild the wall to that city. Uh, and his experience in rebuilding the wall was so challenging at times, right, that, that he must have wondered about the wisdom of this decision. He must have wondered if, if this had really been God's idea or if it, it was something that he imagined for himself. Uh, Rabbi Harold Kushner uh, probably best known for his book, uh, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Uh, chances are good that uh, you've heard of it. Uh, it was published in 1981, and, and people loved it because it was such a helpful explanation uh, for the problem of, e of evil and, and why it exists and, and, and what to think about it when, when it occurs to us. Uh, and e even though the book doesn't contain any references to uh, redemptive suffering, which would be the, the Christian response to, to suffering, it was nevertheless uh, a really good and, and really helpful book. Well, a less well-known book by uh, Rabbi Kushner was published uh, with the title, uh, When All You've Ever Wanted Isn't Enough. And uh, when that book came out in, in uh, 1986, 
uh, to be honest, I, I hadn't achieved anything with my life, and I certainly hadn't accumulated anything, so frankly, it didn't speak all that powerfully uh, to me at the time. Uh, but as I've become older, the, the truth of that book has become even uh, more plain to me. I mean, what happens when all you've ever wanted suddenly seems kind of disappointing and, and not at all what you imagined it would be? Uh, the book, as some of you know, is a, a reflection on the book of Ecclesiastes and, and what Kushner says, and I, I use this quote on the, the front page of your worship bulletins for today. What, what Kushner says is that you don't become happy by pursuing happiness. Right? You, you, you become happy by living a life that means something. Uh, Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king, uh, having gone as high as it was possible to go in life at the time without being the king, nevertheless had this feeling that there was something more. That, that there was a, a life of meaning and purpose beyond what he had experienced. It's a terrible and frightening thing to wake up one day and to think to yourself, I mean, there must be more to life than this. And as your pastor, I would say that it's important to pay attention when that thought occurs to you. And so Nehemiah made this ridiculous proposal to the king that he, Nehemiah, be allowed to step away from his life of, uh, of luxury and plenty and, and security to do something hard and dangerous and, and thankless like rebuilding a wall in his hometown. And by the end of the story, this is a, a spoiler alert, uh, by the end of the story, uh, he did not have all that much luxury. He had more, but he had more meaning and more purpose, and more life than he could ever have imagined. I would say, abundant life. Uh, I wonder, uh, is there something more to your life than uh, comfort, and ease, and lots of really nice things? Is there any sense that your life could be more than it often is? Uh, if you're feeling that way, if, if, if questions like that gnaw at you, if you are open to the idea uh, that God might have a larger purpose for your life, then I invite you to join me this fall as we study Nehemiah's life and experience together. Not all fun times. Uh, not all pleasure and happy experiences. Uh, not all pleasant people to work with, uh, but with more meaning than you can possibly imagine. Uh, our next hymn, uh, Just a Closer Walk, uh, and I didn't fully uh, appreciate this when I, I chose it, uh, but this is the invitation today. Uh, not to an easy life. Right? Not to a comfortable life, but to a real life. A demanding life. Uh, a life of total dependence on, on the God who loves us and saved us and has something in mind for each one of us. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this opportunity to uh, get to know your servant, Nehemiah. And our prayer as we enter into this series is that uh, you would introduce him to us, uh, to the life he lived and to the struggles he faced, and help us to see our own lives uh, and our own experience in his. Uh, and as we do that, we pray that you will change us. 
and make us more and more into the people you have called us to be. We pray this in Christ's name.